At the end of the 659th episode of the animated TV show, The Simpsons, the credits roll and are interrupted by what anyone might be forgiven for thinking was a clever gag, a music video by a heavy metal band, all of the musicians dressed like Ned Flanders, one of the characters from the show. You'd have to be a Simpsons fan to appreciate the humor of Ned Flanders singing death metal. His character on the show is an irrepressibly cheerful, straight-laced, and pious neighbor who always wears a green sweater over a pink shirt and is prone to saying things like Oakley Doakley, which, it turns out, is the name of the band in the video. Started in 2015, Oakley Doakley was founded on what has to be the most unlikely premise on which any band, heavy metal or otherwise, has ever been conceived. It began with a conversation between the band frontman, later stage-named Head Ned, and the original drummer who eventually went by Bled Ned. And the question they were batting around was this. What is the most ludicrous name a metal band could have? Which led to the name Oakley Doakley, which led in turn to all the members of the band dressing like Ned Flanders, sporting the Ned Flanders mustache and glasses, and writing songs based only on quotes from Ned Flanders. Build not as a metal band, but as a nettle band, they are surprisingly popular, and the music video that played at the end of episode 659 was more than a one-off spoof. They have toured nationally in the U.S. and have two studio albums to their credit, Howdly Doodly and, you might have guessed it, Howdly Toodly. What's this got to do with, well, anything? I'm David Dusheman, and this is episode 54 of A Beautiful Anarchy, my podcast about the joys and struggles of everyday creative life. Let's talk about it. You adapt yourself, painter Paul Klee said, to the contents of the paint box. In other words, you work with what you've got. And if you think what you've got is limited, as most creatives and artists do, then the very existence and relative success of a heavy metal Ned Flanders tribute band should bring you some comfort, because next to the need to restrict your lyrics to the words that come out of the mouth of an animated character, while also adapting it to whatever conventions you need to restrict yourself to in order to still be considered heavy metal, well, compared to that... Everything you or I do is going to feel wildly unconstrained and full of possibility. But having fewer limitations or restrictions on your work than Oakley Doakley does doesn't necessarily mean it will be any easier. It's counterintuitive, but creativity works best within, not without, constraints. When the challenges are clear and well-defined and when the problems we're trying to solve can be articulated And the more vague they become, or worse, when there are no constraints at all, the more we tend to flounder in what becomes an endless bog of possible choices, or what some have called the tyranny of choice. Studies show that there's a point at which more choices are not only not better, but lead to anxiety and even paralysis. The choice of a metal band to limit itself to such narrow, albeit bizarre constraints, might be not only a clever marketing gimmick, but a brilliant catalyst to creativity and a helpful reminder to us when our choices become limited or when we've got too many choices and need a hand getting started. More choices, not only in our creative pursuits, but in life in general, mean higher opportunity cost. 
In other words, when we have more options and have to make a decision from among 20 different possibilities, the cost of making that one decision is or feels like the 19 we aren't choosing. When we are given too many options in our creative work and have to choose one, there is an emotional and mental energy spent wondering if we'll regret what might have been and the choices that we didn't make instead of just getting on with our work. Too many choices leads to a fear of missing out. And the paradox of the fear of missing out is that when it paralyzes us into making no choice at all, we miss out on everything. Futurist Alvin Toffler first gave a name to this in the 1970s, calling it overchoice. And it's a very real cognitive impairment. Overchoice brings increased complexity and confusion to our lives and our work. It imposes higher opportunity costs and greater feelings of risk. Worst of all, it's a waste of time, stalling us at the starting gate while we try to decide which path to take. But give yourself some constraints. Take some of the options off the table. And this is where creativity kicks in and forces us to engage the question, what can we do with what we've got? This is where creativity shines. This is its home turf advantage, not outside the box, but within it. Everyone wants to think outside the box. Somehow that idea has become shorthand for what it means to be truly creative. But the box isn't the problem. How we think is the problem. I think the box is where the best work happens. And the smaller the box, the better. The same kind of thinking outside the box with no constraints won't generate nearly the same results as thinking differently, more creatively, with tighter constraints and fewer options inside the box. As a photographer, if you gave me a bag of cameras and lenses and told me to go make a photograph of something, of anything, it would take me forever just to decide on one subject or idea over another, and then longer to decide on my approach, weighing all of the options and considering all of the possible directions. If you gave me one camera, one lens, and a roll of black and white film and told me to make a self-portrait... I'd have something much more specific to work on. It might still take me a week, but it would be a week working through a very specific creative challenge and gaining traction on the direction I want to take, rather than deliberating on this one choice of this or that. But if you further introduced a time limit and told me it had to be done by the end of today, I'd get on it, and I would be even more focused, and I bet the results would be better. Why? the added constraints would be enough to introduce greater challenge and demand tighter focus. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and just thought, hang on a second, he just said challenge and focus. Are those not the key conditions needed for flow, that state in which we do our best creative work? Then you get to move to the front of the class and grab a handful of gold stars on your way past. The big value in embracing or even creating constraints in our work is that they bring challenge and focus. When someone, even when that someone is myself, tells me to think outside the box, tells me the sky is the limit, as if they're doing me a favor, I get really nervous. I see my options increase from what I can see and wrap my mind around to nearly infinite. And when that happens, the problem I'm trying to solve gets slippy and harder to hold on to. My mind begins to run in too many directions, and the sudden proliferation of possibilities dilutes my focus, and the challenge becomes not the work itself, but finding or settling on a starting point. And that can take forever. 
This is why I've long favored the simplest tools and the fewest options to get me started. I think tighter constraints and the choice of smaller paint boxes, at least to start our work with, is incredibly liberating. Don't know how or where to begin? Tighten the constraints. Give yourself a better challenge, something with fewer options. So is this practical? I mean, what if you give yourself a month to write a book and by the time you get there, you've got ideas for making it even stronger and you need another month? What if the song you wrote with the constraint that it be only three chords? What if it's good but could be so much better if you used five chords instead? What if, in following Klee's advice to adapt yourself to the paint box, you realize you really need another color? Well, that's a different problem, isn't it? I mean, at least you've started. At least those initial constraints got you challenged and focused and doing the work. You're no longer at the starting gate wondering which path to take. Instead, you're weighed down the path and gaining speed. And if the initial constraints are no longer the tool you need to keep doing that work now that the work is taking shape, then loosen them up. The tool you needed to get started and pry yourself loose to get past the paralysis and the procrastination, it does not have to be the same tool that you need to finish that same work. If all you need now, now that you've started and the work is really taking shape, if all you need is more time, additional cords, or more paint, then do that. Find the right tool for this part of the process. If those additional tools are available, great, see where they take you. But it's possible they aren't. At some point, we all bump up against constraints that won't be budged. And then what? Well, then you'll find a way to work within that particular paint box. I mean, what choice do you have? You could give up. But we adapt. We get creative. The smaller the paint box to which we must adapt ourselves, the smaller the box in which we are required to think, the greater the challenge and focus, and the greater the chance of flow. Is there such a thing as a paint box that's just too small? Could you make art with only black paint? Well, Franz Klein did. Picasso's Guernica painting is almost completely black and white with only shades of gray in between. Could you write your poem if you only had three lines? The elegance of Japanese haiku suggests you can, as long as you also limit your syllables. Could you write a song with only one chord? The Beatles did with Tomorrow Never Knows. So did Creedence Clearwater Revival with Run Through the Jungle and Aretha Franklin with Chain of Fools. There are others, too, and while I concede that you probably don't want to fill your iPod with one-chord wonders, it's encouraging to me to know it can be done. How? They adapted themselves to their paint box. And they found other tools. Only one chord? Fine, let's work with that and focus on being creative with rhythm and lyrics. Only one color of paint? You got it. Let's use line and shape and as many tones of that one color as we can. What could we do with that? Only 18 minutes to do a TED Talk? No problem. Let's focus on one key idea instead of three and use this chance to simplify the message for greater impact. Constraints are the playing field upon which all creativity happens. Or they're the fence that defines the border of that playing field. They say, within this box... Anything goes, and you can ask what if in any way you choose while you're on that field and within the constraints you've got. There is incredible freedom in that. Now you know what you've got to work with and what you don't. What can you do with that? What can you do with this? What if you try something else? What if 
is a powerful question, full of possibility, and it revolves around what you've got, not what you don't have. It's adapting to your paint box. The alternative to what if is much more common. If only, if only I had more talent, if only I had better tools, if only I had more time or money, if only my paint box were bigger, then I could really create something. If only must be the two least creative words we can think or say. They are the language of defeat and excuses. They focus on and see possibility only in what is not and what we don't have. The if onlys are never satisfied and always waiting for conditions to be perfect. It's heartbreaking because every person who has ever said if only could probably instead have said what if. In the big picture, most of us don't need to go looking for constraints. They already define the boundaries of who we are, what we've got to work with, and what we are capable of doing. Some we are born with, some are thrust upon us. You will have a very different paint box than I do. But whether the constraints of that particular paint box are your biggest liability or your best asset depends on whether you are asking, what if, and exploring the possibilities or waiting for conditions to be perfect for that paint box to conform to your wishes and expectations while saying, if only. You're not alone if you found yourself looking at the if onlys more than usual lately. I have. If only I had more options at the moment. If only we could travel. If only things were normal. If only I weren't so afraid. But they are what they are, and I think it's important to see that and to feel whatever it is we feel about the state of things right now and the confusion from living through something most of us have never lived through and worry that we don't have the tools to cope with. It's possible your paint box, like mine, has never felt smaller. And it would be so easy and so understandable to start thinking about the if-onlys and never get past them. Never adapt to the paint box we have right here and now and to paint something beautiful with what we find inside. Work with what you've got, my friend. Let it transform you as you adapt to the contours and limitations of the paint box. Our best work is done with what we have, not with what we don't. That has always been where the greatest creativity is found. Not outside the box, but within it. Not if only, but what if. Thanks so much for listening. I'm humbled by the response this podcast continues to receive and the emails that I'm getting. Please continue to share this podcast with those that you think might benefit from its encouragement and the conversations it might instigate about creativity. If you're not getting it, I would love to send you On The Make, which is like an emailed version of the podcast that I send out every four weeks when the podcast takes a break. Just go to startuglybook.com, scroll to the bottom, and tell me where to send it. And if this or any episode lights a spark for you and you want to get in touch with me, you can do that anytime at talkback at a beautiful anarchy.com. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. In the meantime, go make something beautiful. Mm-hmm.